0: Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. They're going to get that on the screen, and you're going to be very grateful for them. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 17 say this. And they came over into the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes, And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. "'Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit.' And he asked him, "'What is thy name?' And he answered, saying, "'My name is Legion, for we are many.' And he besought him much, that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, "'Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them, and forthwith Jesus gave them leave.' And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea, and they were about 2,000, and they were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled, and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done, and they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil, and had the legion sitting and clothed, and in his right mind, And they were afraid. And they saw it, and they that saw it told them how it befell. That was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine, and they begin to pray him to depart out of their coast. Sorry for the lengthy reading, but just to set you up with a lot of context here and what all is happening in this most unbelievable of stories. Something miraculous has just occurred, and you've saw the response that you most certainly could not have expected unless you've read it before. But I want to preach from these next few moments from the subject the fear of revival. The fear of revival. Fear is something that on at least some level we can all relate to. We are all afraid of something when it all comes down to it. Maybe it's not just a tremendous fear. Maybe it's not a phobia. Maybe it doesn't have you huddled up into a ball on the floor or in the corner. But we all have some things that make our chest a little tighter than we would like and make our heart race. I know in this church we have some people that aren't too fond of heights, perhaps. Um, We have others that might be afraid of some tight and enclosed space. for me i find that i'm afraid of just about everything i think um i'm afraid of people i'm afraid of people um if you've ever seen me on this front row on a sunday morning i'm just jumpy i guess that's just how i am if pastor comes by and i'm worshiping and he needs to tell me something he'll you know put a hand on my shoulder and i will jump out of my skin be like yes lord i'm ready let's go (laughs) If you come to pray with me in the altar and you lay a hand on my back or my shoulder and I jump, it's not personal. It's just I, that's just how I am. I don't know why it is. It's just how I am. We've all been startled before, and we've all experienced fear. Anybody get a text perhaps sometime or, and says, "Call me when you get the chance," or we need to talk. The devil is a liar. Forget that. Don't do me that way. I'm going to be terrified for your or my safety all day. There are fears that are entirely rational to have. There are rational fears. It's okay for us to have a healthy fear of the godless murder machines known as spiders. But we all know people who are afraid of some things that are irrational. We all know somebody who's afraid of something that just doesn't make sense to be afraid of. I kid you not, I knew somebody one time who would not eat if it was off of a yellow plate. We're not friends anymore. It's weird. It's just weird. Doesn't make sense. I hope they're not watching the live stream. If we're honest, though, we all probably have some of these irrational fears in our life as well. I've found that these irrational, nonsensical fears have a way of getting into our spiritual life. And if we're honest, we often get nervous or scared or timid at some of the silliest things that you could ever imagine. In our scripture text, we read the story of a man known as Legion, But it doesn't quite end like you would think that it would when you just read the introductory remarks of the story. Here is a man who has been cast out of society. Here's a man who they have tried everything that they knew how to do and then decided, well, it's better for you to to live over there. They end up chaining him and binding him the best way that they can, sending him to live off by himself in the tombs amongst the graves and just leave him by himself. Along comes Jesus changes everything, does a miraculous work in the life of this man, but the townspeople have a response that we just cannot understand. We just can't wrap our mind around. Mark chapter 5, verses 14 through 17, just just look at this. It says this, And they that fed the swine fled, say that ten times fast, and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Next verse. It says, And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. Now, I'll let you be the judge here. You read it yourself also. But what in the world do these people have to be afraid of? What do they have to be afraid of? Here's a man who a few hours earlier, no doubt, you would have been afraid of. He's somebody that you wouldn't want to run up on in the dark alley somewhere. He's somebody that you wouldn't, you know, inviting over to your family dinner. He's somebody that you didn't want to be around before. But look what they saw. The Bible says they saw him that was possessed with the devil. They're pretty sure that he's not still possessed. Sitting, clothed. both of these are good. Consider the alternative. And in his right mind... It seems to me that he's somebody that at this point you shouldn't be scared of. It seems to me an instance that this would be a time where people would worship or be driven to praise or at least be marveling at the miracle that had clearly taken place. But instead of any of these things, the Bible says they were afraid. They were so afraid, in fact, that they prayed to Jesus for him to leave and not just leave the general area, but it says for them to leave their coast. They say, We don't you see all this, all this beach, all this coastline here? We don't want you here. We want you on the other side. We don't, we want something to separate where you are from where we are. We want there to be some water. We want there to be some obstacles for you to do anything over here anymore. It's wild. This is the first time that the answer to every problem they would ever have, the answer to everything that they could ever face, shows up on their doorstep. Here's the first time that deliverance and love incarnate is walking in their midst. But instead of being full of faith, instead of being filled with a desire to worship, they beg Jesus and pray to Him that He would leave. Can I tell you tonight that there exists a fear of revival? There is a fear that accompanies the beginnings of revival. There is a collateral damage, so to speak, that surrounds every saved soul. When revival comes to our doorstep, when Jesus steps onto the shorelines of our life, we recognize that things could never, ever, 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 ever be the way that they were before. If revival is coming, then also so is change. And it's this change and it's this challenging of the status quo that filled these townspeople with fear. If we want to be a church that allows God to operate in whatever manner that he desires to operate in, and if we want to be a church where souls continue to be saved, and if we want to continue to be a church where the bound are delivered, we cannot live in fear of revival. We cannot be filled with fear of challenging of the status quo, or the way things have been. And I'm not talking about throwing away things that matter, but when Jesus steps in and there's going to be some things that shift and there's going to be some things that change. Right. There are fears that arose in them in opposition to revival and in opposition to what Jesus was trying to accomplish. The first fear that they faced was that they were afraid perhaps of the supernatural. Can I just say it like it is tonight and say that there are people who love everything about church. They love the fellowship. They love shaking hands. They love singing some songs. They love hugging necks. They love whatever, you name it. They love childcare for a few hours, maybe. They love everything about church until it starts being church like Jesus often liked to have. There are people who love the status quo so much that they will run Jesus out of church because everything that's supernatural makes them nervous. And the problem is if there's no place for the supernatural, all that we're left with is the natural. If we're afraid of the supernatural, we will never have it. And if we don't have it, we won't be able to reach the world. And even if we could connect with them, we would have nothing to offer them. We might as well shut the doors. We might as well not build the new building. We might as well just rebrand it as a social club. Because that's all it is if we don't have the divine, miraculous power of God Almighty. Without the supernatural the church has no discernible purpose we talk about David bringing the ark ark of the covenant back but the reason why that is so significant was that for years and years they had been having church but didn't have the ark which was where the glory of God dwelt David comes and he says oh no this isn't going to work anymore we've got to have the glory of God we've got to have his spirit to be in the house to be in the tabernacle And some people probably thought, why is this such a big deal, David? We've been having church just fine for a long time. You ain't got to do it like that. We're having church, and it's okay. But David realizes that without the glory of God and his presence, and by extension, the miraculous things that he could do, they might as well shut it all down. Without the presence of God, where would they be? We've got to have the presence of God in our midst. And by extension, when God shows up, the miraculous happens naturally. Read the first chapter of your Bible. What happened when God moved, but miraculous things happened? Everything that we do is supernatural. Have you thought about that? Every part of church is supernatural. Praise is supernatural. Giving is supernatural. Prayer is supernatural. Preaching is supernatural. Fasting is supernatural. Reading your Bible is supernatural. Living a holy life is supernatural. Oh sure, there are natural elements to each of these things. But we best not get to the point that we consider reading our Bible the same as reading a comic book. It's not the same. Praising God is different than talking about your favorite restaurant or football player. Preaching is different than a stand-up comedy routine or giving a lecture. Fasting is different than a diet. Prayer is different than talking to your friend. Giving is different than paying your bills. There is an expectation of the supernatural when we do these things. There's an expectation of the supernatural when we live a holy God honoring life. Yeah, yeah. It's different. It's different. Everything we do is supernatural. But when we come together, there is a fear that begin that can begin to rise up that says, I wouldn't want a guest to come in and it be crazy in church today. You know, I wouldn't want it to be supernatural. I don't know about them spiritual gifts, you know, when we, when we got guests in. It's weird. Why can't we just be normal? But the reason why we can't be normal we all realize is because being normal is what got us bound by sin in the first place. Being normal is what caused Jesus to have to go to Calvary. Being normal is what causes the world to have all the problems you see on the news day in and day out. And we are not going to free ourselves much less anyone else from the grips of a sin shackled life if all we're concerned about is the status quo and being normal. We need the supernatural. We need a move of God no matter what service we're in. Don't be afraid of that. We've got to embrace that. When we're here on a Sunday and we worship together, we need a move of God. We believe that as we worship Him, chains will fall and depression can be lifted. We want to see people delivered. We want to see people, as the Word of God is preached, we want to see God save them as He said that, believe. We want to see sins remitted in baptism. We're not just getting kids wet when we do that. We're not just taking them down in bath water or dipping them in the pool. But there is something supernatural that occurs as people go down in that cleansing water of baptism. We need God to move on our behalf. The second thing that they face that opposes revival is that they were afraid of losing their pigs. Isn't that a tragedy to lose your pigs? Jesus came through, and in the healing of one man, the local swine farmers lost 2,000 of their finest pigs. That is not what you call a good day for the Razorbacks. (laughs) They've had lots of bad days. It's all right. They're used to it. No, it's not, it's not a good day for the bacon industry. You know, it's not a good day for, for the Denny's All-Star or whatever it is. I don't know. It's a bad day for that. But here's the problem with it all. Historians are not 100% sure if the farmers were Jews or Gentiles, but regardless, under the law of Moses, raising pigs in the land of Israel was not something that could have been justified doubtless when the word of what had happened reached the city and the countryside as those that fed the sheep fled, Um, those that did not have their, I said sheep, but pigs, those that didn't have their pigs in that group probably came and thought, oh, my word, started wringing their hands. What's going to happen if this continues? What about my pigs? I didn't have them in that group. But we lost 2,000 and he just saved one of them. There's a bunch of people in that city that if he comes in there, he's going to find they need to be delivered too. And I love my pigs. I love my pigs. When Jesus shows up at our doorstep and when revival comes knocking, there are some things that we have to get in order in our life. There are always some things that we thought might be permissible that when Jesus shows up and begins to convict our heart, we realize, no, I better let that go. I better be okay with that one going. There are things that that were acceptable when we were just having church as usual and before the supernatural started happening and before we really started investing in this. But once Jesus shows up and now that he's here and now that the supernatural is occurring, we realize that, that some of these pigs, in fact, all of these pigs, they just got to go. They've got to go. It's a sad commentary on a life when the drowning of our pigs elicits more of a response than the drowning of our demons. And there are people that are so afraid to lose their pigs that they'll call deliverance a disaster and they'll call conviction condemnation. Lord, you're going to have to get out of here because I'm not quite, quick. I'm not quite done with my sinning yet. I'm not quite done living a halfway Christian lifestyle. I'm not quite done riding the fence, so to speak. Because when Jesus shows up, lines of clarity are decided. When he starts moving, we have to make a decision. heard a a man of God many times say, whatever doesn't wake you up rocks your cradle. And there is a truth to that. Truth that doesn't convince us to give more to God oftentimes convicts us and and condemns us to give less if we don't obey that. They said, Jesus, I don't mind you healing whoever you want to heal from afar. You can deliver everybody way over there however you want to deliver them on that other side. But don't you dare touch my pigs. Don't you dare convict me over my favorite things to do. Don't you dare convict me about my favorite TV show, perhaps. Or don't get on me about my gossip or about my bad attitude. And we've all been there. We've all been there. I've been there. You've been there. Don't dare call me out on my lack of complete commitment. Just leave my pigs alone. Deliver them, but don't touch my pigs. Because they've become comfortable living in a place of partial commitment and are afraid of what a life totally submitted to Jesus might make them miss out on. They cause Jesus to leave. Because Jesus will not continue associating with people who prioritize pigs over people. He's not going to continue staying with them and being with them. When I worship a holy God on Sunday... But live like the world on Monday. I've got pigs in my life who have to go. When everything is an excuse for missing church and church is an excuse for missing nothing, I've got pigs in my life that have to go. And we've all been there before. It's not like we all don't understand the pigs that we've got roaming around or or pets that we thought they were all right and it's just a little thing over there. But when Jesus starts showing up and convicting us, we realize, no, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. I'm not going to be satisfied living A halfway life for God, not when he's trying to deliver and set free. It's not good enough. We've got to get this right if we want to reach our city. We can't be afraid to let God come into our life and come into my life and say some things have to go. Why do we think that Jesus allowed the demons to go into the pigs? You ever think about that? Because they asked if they could, and he he could have said no, kick rocks. But he lets them. Now, you're left with two two alternatives here. One, you think that the demons got a one-up on Jesus and just caught him unaware. Because they went into the pigs, and then what happened? They ran down the hill, the pigs died, and then the townspeople said, we don't want you here. Well, you either think that Jesus got you know, confused and did the wrong thing. Or you think that Jesus knew what they were going to do and said, I'm going to let these people be tested. I'm going to let them lose something that they should have never had in the first place and see if they love that thing that they should have never had more than they love the salvation and deliverance of souls. Is the salvation of their city worth a few pigs? that they shouldn't have ever had in the first place. We need Jesus to step into our lives and in our churches and do the supernatural. We need Him to clean us up inside and out. And we need Him to step in and call us to repentance, true repentance, to turn away from things that separate us from Him and call us to baptism and fill us with the Holy Ghost and equip us to live holy, God-honoring lives. Finally, the last fear that came across their minds as as Jesus was there was the fear of responsibility. Understand that it is easy to write people off. We're all pretty adept at that, myself included. It's easy to write people off. Writing people off is something that we all all can do. But if salvation and deliverance exist, like we read of in this book, We can't cast out anyone. There's no one that we can cast out. They dealt with the demon-possessed man. How? Well, they suffered him for a while, but then they chained him up, said, you're not welcome here anymore, took him out to the tombs and left him to die. They cast him out. How much easier is it to do that than deal with real discipleship? How much easier is it to do that than preach salvation to the lost wherever we go? How much easier is that than committing ourselves to a life of prayer and a life of fasting and a life of evangelism? Because if there is, in fact, a God that is able to reach in and touch a, and penetrate a heart that has been hardened with a lifetime of sin and touch that heart and in a moment deliver that man or that woman, if that God exists, then the paradigm of how we live and interact with people has to forever change because of the responsibility of that message we can't cast anyone out we can't cast anyone off we can't write them off we can't say there's no hope for you why don't you just go over there because that's where they get everywhere else but the church it's what they get everywhere else we've got a responsibility to share this gospel the world looks at people who are struggling with sin and like the people in our text, binds them with even more chains. It's not like you really needed anything else. But they give them even more stuff. If you're struggling with sin, well how about you work a little harder and maybe that'll fix it. You're struggling with depression, or go out and treat yourself. Maybe that'll solve it. And in the end, what what does it do but just give us more shackles and more chains to wear and leave people in a worse state than they ever were before? It's a lot easier to do that than have a real conversation about what God is able to do. And tell people about a Savior who is able to meet every need. And tell them about a place where they can go. Where their past and their sins and their shame can be erased at an altar. And covered by the blood of an all sufficient Savior in Jesus Christ. And if we want revival, we cannot be afraid of the responsibility that comes along with this life-changing and life-saving message. We can't be afraid of reaching out to people who've been beat up and abused by this world that have been used and discarded by sin. It might be uncomfortable. I'm not saying it's not uncomfortable. I'm not saying it's not a struggle for me. I'm not saying it's not uncomfortable for me. But I'm saying if it is, our paradigm of comfort has to change. It has to change because this gospel is worth more than my half effort. Jesus was taken captive and laid in a tomb so we wouldn't have to be. So your co-workers and your family and your friends wouldn't have to be. And we cannot be afraid of the responsibility of this gospel. Musicians can come. I'm about done. Our story begins to read like a sad commentary, however. As we see them pray for Jesus to go... And he begins to pack his things, so to speak, and depart from them. Gets ready to leave. No doubt they deserve such a sentence. They deserve the condemnation that they would receive if he left them with no hope. Because they had seen what he could do. And it was was ridiculous. The whole situation is ridiculous when you think about it. A notable miracle had been done. Something that none of them could have done. Something that they had even tried to fix at least a little bit and decided it was too hard. Notable miracle. It had been done in their midst. Sure, their pigs had to go, but what really is that? They saw that they could now live in victory over sin and bondage, and instead of praising God and marveling at what He could do, they prayed and insisted that He would leave. That is ridiculous, and they deserved every bit of condemnation that they received. In the same way that if I came into service and the pastor preached a message and I saw the awesome power of God and I just walked out the doors and said, I don't want any of that. I deserve the condemnation that I'd receive. It's a sad commentary. But as Jesus begins to head out, the man who had been known as Legion approaches him. Basically says, I don't know. I don't know why they don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. I don't understand that but I want to go with you wherever you go. They don't want anything to do with you here, so I don't want to be here. I want to be with people that love you and want to be around you. I want to be your disciple. And Jesus says, no. Well, that's a little slap in the face because this is the first prayer that Jesus didn't answer in this chapter. He answered the prayers of the demons to go in the pigs. He answered the prayers of the sinful people, unrepentant. They said, we pray for you to leave. And he said, all right. And then the one person in the whole narrative that is his disciple or wants to be, the one person that wants to do something for God, says, I want to be with you forever. I want to go with you. I don't want to be here. And Jesus says, nope, I'm not going to answer that one. Not at least in the affirmative. But he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and I want you to tell your friends and your family what I've done for you. And I want you to tell them how I've had compassion on you. So Jesus leaves, the man heads out to do what the master has asked him to do, and something begins to happen. Because these same people who rejected Jesus... When he was trying to teach, perhaps. And these same people that prioritize their pigs so much, and prioritize perhaps their comfort so much, and prioritize the status quo so much, began to listen to his testimony. And these same people, when Jesus returns to Decapolis, there is an open door for ministry there because this man had a testimony of what God would do. And this is the power of just one person understanding what I'm trying to preach to you tonight. If just one person will seek after God to do the supernatural and will get rid of the things in their life, the pigs and the things that distract us from what God wants to do, And if one person will be unashamed to preach the testimony of God in their life, revival will come to your home, to this church, to this community like we've never seen before. Don't worry about all the people that rejected Him. Just tell what God has done and you will be amazed at how many people accept Him. I can't speak for anyone else tonight. We've been having awesome services around here. We've had a great start to the year. It's a tremendous church. I'm not here to beat you up. But I'm not here to settle back into the status quo of what everybody else might have or might not have. That's not the direction I want to go. What we have been seeing is what this community is needing We want the supernatural. We want healings. We want notable miracles. We want to see people pulled out of lives of sin. We want to see the church continue to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, don't we? We want to see blind eyes open. We want to see wombs open. We want to see shackles fall and depression lifted as we worship God. We want to see our heavenly Father open up the windows of heaven as we give faithfully and sacrificially. We want to see God clean out our hearts. I don't want to go to a new property with a dirty heart. I don't want to go to a new place and not be ready for it. We pray that nothing would cause us to be separated from Him. We pray that God would drown our demons and drown the things that that don't matter so that nothing would cause us to resist His presence and His activity in our lives not here for anybody else but I've said it to many people in this church but God has positioned this church to reach thousands and not hundreds and if Uh, Just a few people believe it, that's all right. Because if those few people will seek after the supernatural, will live lives of holiness, and will give the testimony of God, we're going to be forever amazed at what He does. Let forgiveness and salvation and deliverance be words that are forever on the tip of our tongue. Let our testimony be the banner that we wave. Because if there is just one in here, if there is just one, there is no telling where we will be when Jesus returns to get Jonesboro, when Jesus returns to this city. There is no telling where we will be then. Why don't you stand with me? Why don't we find us a place to pray tonight? I don't know where you fall in this, but if we could seek after the supernatural, if we could seek after His presence, if we could seek after repentance and cleanse ourselves and say, create in me a clean heart, oh God. If we could purpose in ourselves to share this message. God is willing to open doors and open avenues in His Spirit and in this community where the lost can be found and people that are far from God are drawn to Him and drawn back in. Let's pray together.